Well, good morning, church family. It is great to be with you on this weekend before Independence Day. Uh, and I just want to welcome everybody here, everybody who's watching online, or maybe you're catching up later, you're traveling or whatever. Uh, it is just so awesome to be able to study God's Word. God has a word for us today, and it's about this topic of freedom. Uh, here, uh, approaching Independence Day, just a few days, and I had the opportunity this weekend to walk around Philadelphia, the birthplace of freedom. You know, you got the house where the, you know, Declaration of Independence was written and the uh, just Independence Hall, right? Like freedom was born just down the road, which is pretty cool. And as we think about our freedom story here in the United States, it really begins uh, July 4th, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress approved the Declaration of Independence which famously declares that uh, <laughs> we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? All men are created equal. And this document announced our freedom and really laid a foundation for our collective aspirations and just determining to be a nation of freedom. We sowed the seeds of liberty on that day. There were, of course, many African Americans who remained enslaved at that point. But the institution of slavery couldn't last long, uh, not in a nation that had been founded on freedom. It was 87 years later that Abraham Lincoln issued this Emancipation Proclamation, which ended slavery in America, and it declared that all persons held as slaves are, and henceforward, shall be free. That's pretty awesome. Right, freedom is ringing throughout the lands. The Emancipation, this is interesting, was signed in 1863. But it wasn't until June 19th, 1865, two years later, that the enslaved people in Galveston actually received the news that they're free. Isn't that kind of crazy? Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, and it takes two years for word of freedom to reach this, this group of people. Well, they hear the news, there's a joyful celebration that takes place, and that comes to be known as Juneteenth, or uh, Freedom Day, which is a, a worthy holiday to celebrate. But I was thinking about this week, as I was pondering this topic of freedom, for two years, if you think about it, their freedom had been granted, but their freedom wasn't a reality. They had been set free, but they weren't living free. Tez, we, I want to talk to you about true freedom. What is it? Are we experiencing it? We live in a nation where we've been set free. We celebrate our freedom this week. It's a wonderful thing. We are blessed to live in a nation that's free. You know what the even greater blessing is, though? It's that God has set us free. And there is no chain or oppression that's more powerful than the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel today that we proclaim here at Hope Community Church is that Christ has set us free. Our freedom is in Jesus Christ. But the reality is we could live in the freest nation in the world and still not live free. We could be set free but not walking in true freedom. So I ask the question today, what is true freedom? Are we experiencing it? How do we experience true freedom? And the answer to that question is found in the book of Exodus, 
chapter 1. You want to meet me there, Exodus chapter 1, if you brought your Bible. The word Exodus means to exit. The book of Exodus is God's freedom story. It's a, a wonderful and powerful story. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, we are in the land of Egypt, where God's people live in slavery. And we're going to meet two women here who, uh, though they are enslaved, live with a radical freedom. And they're going to help us define today what true freedom looks like. Uh, a freedom that can transform our lives and, and truly transform the world. So hear their story, Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous... And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth, on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Vigorous. God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. How do we experience true freedom? I want to discover that as we study this passage today. This is our Independence Day. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to gather together, here together um, in a free nation, Lord. And we give you thanks for that. Um, but we know that we can live in a free country, God, and still experience all kinds of, of captivity. So we just pray that those chains would be broken in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you that we worship a God of freedom. So we love you. We give you this time. Speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're looking at uh, what is true freedom? How do we experience it? And I think it really starts with this as we look at this passage. We want to recognize what holds us captive. Are there things in our lives that are holding us captive or uh, things that enslave us? 
Now, none of us, I'm sure, have seen slavery with our own eyes. Now, we may have felt as children that all the chores that our parents made us do, you know, kind of felt like slavery. I remember little Brian, uh, about eight years old, was tasked to mow the lawn all summer long. I didn't get any money or anything like that. I pretty much hated it uh, because I was little. I was eight years old. I think I looked like this kid right here. That was probably little Brian right there. Arr, you know, like, think of this has to, like, number one, this isn't safe. And number two, it has to violate all kinds of child labor laws. But of course, you know, that's old school. And um, we did a lot of chores. And what I thought might have been like slavery was just a lesson of responsibility. Uh, chores aren't slavery, not by any means. But slavery is really what the blacks experienced in the Old South. And believe it or not, slavery is actually alive and well today. Here's a, a graph, a chart. Well, not really a graph. It's more of a, uh, num some numbers, some statistics here about modern slavery. And it really is uh, striking to realize that right now, according to, to all the estimates, some 40.3 million people live in slavery today. Look at that, 24.9 million in forced labor, um, sexual exploitation, uh, forced marriage. But uh, look at that last one, 10 million children are enslaved today. And you think about the, the, the horrific and cruel nature of slavery. You know, this is, this is an evil that's present in our world right now here in the, between creation and redemption. I think there's even a, a movie out that's been released this weekend about, uh, about trafficking. It's called Sounds of Freedom or something like that. Um, you think about right now, there are people around the world who are being trafficked. They're being held against their will. will forced to do um, unimaginable things. Now we here at Hope, we're not okay with that. We want to do something about this. And you can be encouraged that when you give to Hope, you know, 10% of anything you give goes right out the door. And we're partnering with an organization called JVI, Justice Ventures International, to bring an end to this kind of modern slavery and injustice and to truly share God's freedom all around the world. But as this story of Exodus opens, we find God's people in slavery. Now, it hadn't always been that way. Remember when God's people first came to Egypt, they were welcomed as guests. They were Joseph's family. Uh, Joseph had saved the nation of Egypt from a terrible famine, and actually through the famine had brought a lot of prosperity to Egypt. But we learn here in Exodus chapter 1 that a new pharaoh has arisen, and they don't know Joseph. They don't know what Joseph did for the nation. And what Pharaoh sees is that there's a growing number of Israelite people who live in Egypt. They're foreigners in this land. And Pharaoh felt like he could no longer allow this threat to continue. And you hear him pondering, like, what if there's a war? What if, like, what if these people turn against us? And so he subjected the Israelites and made them slaves. Exodus 1, 8 through 14 tells the story. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they'll become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. 
So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses and store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. On this next slide, you can see some Egyptian artwork. And uh, this comes from a painting from the tomb of an official, uh, an Egyptian official named, uh, see if I can say this, uh, Rekmeray. And this, this painting actually, it dates to the actual time period that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Isn't that interesting? And you can see in this painting that there are foreigners, and some of them are Semitic, that are actually enslaved. They're making bricks. They're, you know, hauling bricks, moving bricks, building walls. Um, this, this, and there's actually a taskmaster nearby who's overseeing the work with rod in hand. So this mirrors exactly what we read about in Exodus chapter 1. There's a new king of Egypt. He's put slave masters over the children of Israel, and it says he oppressed them with all kinds of cruel work. The Israelites had been overcome by evil, and his name was Pharaoh. Now, praise God here today, you and I are not building cities with bricks. We're not forced to work out in the brick kilns or the fields or any other forms of slavery that we've seen in this world. We are free, and we celebrate our freedom. But I would argue today that we can actually be enslaved in other ways. There are other things that can hold us captive. And if we want to be free today, we want to begin by recognizing what holds you captive. See, we see even in Scripture here that free people aren't always free. For example, in John chapter 8, and Jesus speaks to some Jewish people, and he's talking to them, and he says, they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. You guys heard that before? Common, right? Know the truth, truth will set you free. Jesus says that. And Jewish people listening are like, uh, Jesus, we are free. I think you're a little confused. We're not captives. We don't need freedom. And Jesus says no. John 8, 34. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, there's another kind of captivity. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. There are things that hold us and oppress us because of sin. If the Son sets you free, though, Jesus says, you will be free indeed. Jesus came to set us free. He uses the image of slavery to help us understand what sin can do to us. And just like the Israelites were slaved in Egypt, sin too can hold us captive. Now later on in the New Testament, a guy named Peter, one of the apostles, he talks about people who promise freedom. And yet they themselves are slaves. And he explains what that means, saying in 2 Peter 2.19, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Even free people can live in all kinds of slavery. Whatever overcomes a person, the Bible says, to that they are enslaved. 
In other words, Pharaoh's not dead. He just sometimes lives in the darkness, in an evil that seeks to control and ruin and dominate and oppress our lives. We want to be free. We recognize. Recognize what holds you captive. Is there something in your life that's holding you captive today? Maybe it's an addiction in your life. You want to be free. You keep coming back again and again to this addiction. And an addiction can be a pharaoh in our life. Or, or maybe it's, it's hurt or a past abuse. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's, it's, some, it's a sin that's, that's been done to you. That's your pharaoh. It holds you captive. It still influences and dominates your life. But what if you could be free? Maybe it's fear. Fear of saying something or doing the right thing. Maybe it's a fear of the future. It's, it's holding you back. You can't move forward in your life. God wants us to be free. But fear can hold us captive like, like the slaves in Egypt. So I want to invite you this morning to consider, is there something in your life that's holding you back? controlling you, dominating your life. I, I love our freedom here in America. It's a blessing. I rejoice. I'm celebrating that this week. But as a pastor, I meet so many people who are living in fear, living in brokenness, to bad choices in the past, shame, unforgiveness, isolation. How do we experience true freedom? Number one, recognize what holds you captive. Anything in your life? Think about it. You got it? All right, number two. Define what it means to be free. I love this. To really experience freedom, we got to see what it means to be free. We're about to meet two slaves who live radically free. It's two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. They refuse to serve Pharaoh and they help us to define what it means to be free. The Israelites, they're you know, making bricks, they're enslaved and impressed, working out in the fields, and if that wasn't enough, Pharaoh becomes even more evil. And he summons these two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, and he says, any of the baby boys are to be murdered at birth. What an evil. Now, this is a good moment to pause and just Remember that abortion is the same thing. 60 million lives have been ended just in America alone through abortion. Think about that. The number one cause of death in America every year is abortion. It's an outrageous thing. Think about it. The number one cause of death every year is this willful killing of human lives in the womb. This is what Shifra and Pua are up against. Listen to the command of Pharaoh. It's cruelty at its best. Verse 15 and 16. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. So take a moment. 
Put yourself in Shifra and Pua's shoes. Just been summoned by Pharaoh. Come into his throne room, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And he commands you. And when the Hebrew women give birth, you are to kill the baby boys. What are they supposed to do? They don't do that. Going against Pharaoh. Think of the repercussions. They could lose their own lives. Maybe they were thinking, we're just slaves. What can we do? But what do they do? They choose freedom. They say, we're not obeying the command of Pharaoh. Tell us to do whatever he wants. But we have. We're free. We are going to follow God. We're going to do what God says for us to do. Verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God. And they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women, I love this. Like, you got to understand, these Hebrew women are some tough women. Like, they have been slaves. Like, the men are tough men. Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. I I love these Hebrew women. They're awesome. They're courageous. They're Bible-sized heroes. They disobey the highest authority in the land. They risk their own lives, and they saved the Hebrew baby boys. It's pretty amazing. And then it's Seems to me pretty likely that when Pharaoh called them in, they lied about it. Now, it is possible that Hebrew women just are that vigorous. Like, that's possible. But it's also possible that they're just like, hey, you know those Hebrew women? They just pop them out before we can even get there. You know, like, what an amazing couple of women. And you see the freedom, the radical freedom they have before Pharaoh, the highest authority in the land? They should have acted like slaves but they refused to do wrong. They should have been afraid of Pharaoh, but they refused to be slaves of Pharaoh. They should have been discouraged and beaten down by all the suffering and oppression they had experienced, but they refused to be a victim. Well, killing the babies, that may, maybe that would have impressed Pharaoh. Oh, maybe we could get some prestige or position or power. No. They were not going to be a slave to anyone or anything, they chose a life of radical freedom. They had defined for themselves what freedom meant to them. Define what it means to be free. I think a lot of us this week define freedom as our personal independence. To make our own choices, we get to choose our path in life, can do what we want, when we want it. I love it. It's a beautiful thing. We might call that our outward freedom, and we praise God for outward freedom or outside freedom. But Jesus actually gave, came to give us a freedom even more powerful than that. The freedom Jesus gives us is a freedom on the inside. It's a freedom of heart and soul and life and action. It's a freedom to live for God. It's a freedom to make a better choice, to be a better person, to create a better world. And no matter what anyone does, they cannot take that freedom away. That's our freedom. A freedom on the inside. You look at Jesus. 
Jesus was radically free. Nothing held him back. He stood up for the truth. He did what was right. He was free to love anyone and everyone, even his enemies. Jesus had so much freedom, he actually gave up his freedom. He laid it down. He went to a cross and suffered and died and bled so that you and I could be truly free. And in those moments before Jesus would go to that cross, he stood before Pilate, the most powerful man. And Pilate would ask Jesus a question. What did Jesus do? Stayed quiet. King refused to be a slave. Pilate says, you refuse to speak to me. I have the power either to free you or crucify you. What does Jesus say? You have no authority over me. But what has been given to you from heaven? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And this is freedom. Christians down through the ages have lived with a radical kind of freedom. Just wrote down some examples. Christians in the first century were fed to lions because they refused to bow to the Roman Empire. In Nazi Germany, believers like Cory Ten Boom's family disobeyed German law by hiding and protecting Jews. A pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer participated in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Crazy. He was arrested and killed in a concentration camp. Christians like Martin Luther King Jr. broke segregation laws to fight for racial equality. Many Chinese Christians today are persecuted for worshiping illegally in house churches. This is radical freedom. Radical freedom. Real freedom, and the list could go on and on. We could be here all day, right? Real freedom is the power to make a better choice, to be a better person, and to create a better world. Where does freedom like this come from? It comes from a love of God and a fear of God. It comes from the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Shifra and Pua, where did they get their, their freedom, their radical internal freedom? Well, we're told that the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do as Pharaoh commanded. Right? The, the, these women feared God. They have a, had a vision of a reality of a God that was so big, Pharaoh seemed small in comparison. They say, you tell us whatever you want us to do, but if it goes against God, we're going to fear God and not obey men. We're going to kick off a brand new series next week on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about wisdom. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we'll hear a lot more about that next week. But for these Hebrew midwives, for them, God was real. God mattered. He was Lord and God. And they were just, they had the freedom just to live for Him. Radical freedom. Define what it means to be free. I want to take one moment here to distinguish a little bit more between internal and external freedom. We talked a lot about internal freedom. Shifra and Pua display what kind of freedom? Internal freedom or ex outside freedom? What is it? Internal, right? They're free on the inside. 
because of their faith in God. What comes next in the story? Doesn't God break those bonds of oppression? Delivers them from their slavery in Egypt and sets them free? Pretty amazing, isn't it? The God we worship sets people free. Think about that. There's a reason why pharaohs and tyrants in the modern world don't want Christians reading their Bible, or anyone else for that matter, because the Bible's a freedom book. In fact, I was at the Museum of the Bible, and I was looking through some of the Bibles. I came across this one. It's called a slave Bible. And I first of all had to pause and think about what sick person would make a Bible for slaves. Published in 1807, was to be given to slaves because they took out the story of the Exodus. They just cut it out. Cut out any references to freedom. Because they feared the power of the Bible in setting humans free. It's an amazing thing. God came to give us freedom. And so we work for freedom in this world. Right? We're not there yet. But the same God of the Bible promises us an inheritance of freedom, an eternity of freedom. And so we are compelled that our universe truly is on the side of freedom. And we're pursuing that, we're reaching for that, we're moving towards that every single day. Got to define what holds us captive, recognize what holds us captive, and then define true freedom. What does it mean to be free? Freedom starts on the inside. Freedom of heart, freedom of life, freedom to love God. And we pursue that. We go after that. Finally, how? How do we experience freedom? Number three, cry out to God and believe in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you long for just greater freedom in your life or you desire freedom. Point one, cry out to God. Exodus 2, 23-25, the Israelites cry out for freedom. A powerful moment. It says the years passed. The king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and He remembered His covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel. I love it. He knew it was time to act. God's like, it's the time to act. They're crying out. I'm going to do something. And some of you are here, you're bearing a burden. Life feels overwhelming. And, and maybe there's an addiction or you're struggling to forgive someone in your past. And Exodus is saying, cry out. Cry out to freedom because God, you, He hears your cry. It says God knew it was time to act. He sends a man named Moses. Moses sets him free. But the really amazing thing is God has heard and answered our prayers too. And he didn't send a man. He sent the God-man. God himself came. And it's an amazing thing to ponder in our hearts this week as we think about freedom that you and I have actually sinned against a holy God. We're held captive by our sin, just like we talked about. And there is no way we could ever work our way back into this perfect 
peace with God, this relationship with God. But what God did is that he loved us so much that he made a way for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life without sin, died on a cross, rose from the dead in victory, sits at the right hand of heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord. And what this means for us is that he did it because there is a forgiveness of sins that becomes the basis of a freedom and a relationship with God that you and I can experience in this life. How do we experience that freedom? You want to find that freedom? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to God for the freedom that you desire in a relationship with him. How do we experience freedom? Cry out to God. Believe in Jesus Christ. Freedom is literally a cry away. God will forgive you. He will hear your prayer. He'll cast all your sin into the sea of forgetfulness because your faith is in Jesus Christ. So here's the big idea on this weekend before Independence Day. True freedom is found only in Jesus Christ. He is our freedom. He will be our freedom. He always will be our freedom. Freedom is in Christ. But what about, you know, what pharaohs, think about this as we close, what pharaohs might we face in our culture? Are there forces that oppress that we can see around us? May God be so big in our lives that just like Shifra and Pua, that we say yes to God and no to sin, yes to faith and no to fear, and let's always live for Jesus Christ because if the sun sets us free, we are, what does it say? Free indeed. Yes, true freedom is in Christ. Let's close in prayer and we'll end with a song. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you've come to set our hearts free. We don't have to be oppressed by the darkness and evil that sometimes squeezes in around us. But that on the cross you broke the power of sin. You broke addiction to sin. You broke the power of sin done to us by not only forgiving our sins, but empowering us to be free, to forgive others, to love others, to be changed, to make different choices. And we cannot do that on our own. We need your help. We cry out for the freedom that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So I pray this week as we celebrate our outward freedom, we celebrate just as much the freedom we have in Jesus Christ, if not more, because true freedom is always found in Christ. So thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for showing us how to live radical lives of freedom. May we have that kind of courage and faith to live that way every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.